When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. Happy Monday. It's snowing here in New York, which is always fun. Today's podcast, I just got off the phone with uh, an online consultant client, and we talked about some things that I've covered quite a bit in the podcast. I didn't want to give you this exact podcast, but I wanted to give you some topics from this that I thought were actually very valuable. So, Basically, this individual was working on remote collar training, and she got a, a cheaper remote collar, a $40 remote collar off Amazon. And so she was trying to get some e-collar work done, but she was struggling with it. So I just wanted to go over the importance of e-collar training done right, as well as things that can happen if you don't do it right. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that have done remote collar training, and this goes for any type of training. So I want to, basically the title of this should actually be something along the lines of, if you've messed your dog up in training, don't worry, here's how to get it better because it happens all the time. So dogs are animals. We are people. We love our dogs. We're trying to do the best we can to help them. As you guys know, there's a million different ways to do something. You go online and it's like you get thrown in literally every direction, very polar opposites, and it can be confusing for you guys. And I try my hardest and I feel like I do my best job at being um, as objective as well as as fair as well as as human as possible with you guys as a dog lover myself turned professional um you know i try to give you guys the best way to train your dogs as possible through all of my clients mistakes as well as my personal mistakes through life and so this individual has a australian shepherd that is very reactive at the door when people come in so she's she's she kind of works um you know in her office with in a warehouse type of work office and she's got people coming and going um it's a it's a very herding type of breed. Australian Shepherds, of course, they're very pushy. They could be very stubborn. Uh, they also like to work. So any opportunity to clock in and check people's IDs when they walk in, the dog may love doing that. So very natural. These things happen all of the, all of the time. But she basically was saying, "Hey, listen, I can't use a leash." And so the reality is, guys, is the somebody came in, boom, 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 knocking in coming in, whatever, the dog would alert bark all the way to this person, not attack or bite them, but would scare the crap out of them and obviously kind of mess up the work environment for a couple minutes. So it's not good. A lot of you guys are dealing with this at home as well. And so, and and she just said, look, I, I can't hold a leash with my dog. I'm working. I'm moving around. It's, it's kind of a come and go type of thing. And I love my dog. My dog comes to work with me. This is our life. This is what has to happen. So she doesn't want to do 
leash training, which a lot of people, same thing with you guys at home. You don't want to be having to put a leash on your dog every time somebody comes over all the time. Something I talk about often is when you are doing this in the beginning, putting a leash on your dog is actually what you want to do because it's kind of the training wheels, but you don't want to have to be doing this forever. So if you're finding yourself having to put the leash on your dog every time forever, or you have to remove your dog from the situation or environment every time when somebody comes over, it's a really good sign. Unless your dog just absolutely hates people and you're being safe, it's a good sign that the training protocols that and the techniques that you're using aren't sustainable, which means if you're trying to learn how to go bowling and you put the bumpers out, which I used to do when I was a kid because it was fun and easy, but that's how you learn how to bowl, right? And if you're trying to take it seriously and you're trying to become a better bowler, or trying to become a better handler, or owner for your dog, and you have to constantly put the bumpers on, chances are you're really not getting better at bowling, right? Chances are you're not getting better with training. Same thing with training wheels, right? If you're riding around the neighborhood at 18 to 30 years old with training wheels, you probably should learn how to ride a bike, right? Because you just haven't learned how to do it right. So, you know, the concerns are always going to be, you know, well, I don't want my dog to jump on people. I don't want my dog to uh, overwhelm people, whatever. And that's all normal stuff. But understanding, again, I talk about, I talked about this in this particular podcast is there's level one through three levels of uh, environmental, environment or stressors, as well as environmental uh, distractions. One through three, three being the most obedient competitive dog ever, something you'd see like maybe Lakota B or something like that. Level one would be level one. And then even before that would be like pre-level one, right? It would be more like just started. So you're not really on the spectrum yet because you don't know anything yet and your puppy doesn't know anything. And so, you know, one thing she was having a hard time with is people would come in, the dog would bark and lunge and go to the door. We don't want to tell a fish not to swim. We don't want to tell it. Like I just posted a brand new YouTube video. If you guys haven't checked it out, boy, after this podcast, you should. Uh, it's, it's a doozy. It's a good one with a border collie. I said this in that video. I said, hey, I don't want to teach this border collie not to be suspicious of new people, but there's certain behaviors that aren't aren't appropriate and certain behaviors that are, you know, and some of those behaviors are certainly, you know, going after people, trying to bite people, etc. So anyway, it's important for you guys to understand throughout this process when you're introducing remote collar or any other training equipment, you do it right. It's obviously like the big debacle in life, right? Just... If you, if you do it wrong or you do it in a way that is not sustainable for your dog, you're not going to yield good results, right? If you're looking for a shortcut or you're looking for just something to shut your dog down, you're going to see a lot of repercussions from that, right? You're going to see a lot of things stem from these things. It's not going to, you're going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? You're trying to cover up one mess and create another, which can happen. Right, And it may happen to you guys, and it may have happened. And I'm going to talk about how to get out of these situations. But So she said, listen, e-collar is the way to go. My dog, you know, this is the life I have. People come and go. My dog is this. So I need that control. I need that immediate digital technology to be like, hey, go to your bed, right? And, and being able to actually enforce it. So when we talk about these things, of course, we're not pushing, making our dogs do these things with the remote collar every time, it's actually enforcing behaviors the dog already knows. And so the correction is actually coming from the dog 
say, flipping you off and saying, yeah, I'm not doing this. I'm checking. I'm barking at these people. I'm biting these people. I'm jumping on these people. I'm scratching these people. I'm pulling on these people's legs and coats. And so you got to, so that's one thing I think a lot of people don't understand is the remote collar introduction has, and I never, I shouldn't say that. I used to correct people when they say shock collar shock because it, it's just not really what it is. It's stimulation. Stimulation is essentially something that you can feel, right? It's something that is created on the skin through using the remote collar. It's like a TENS unit, right? So when you say, if I were to say, hey, is this shocking you or is this, does this feel like a stimulation to you? I don't think anybody listened to this if they felt a level four on their face from a, from the Tom Davis Dr. 280C, you'd say this is shocking. That doesn't, it just, it's not that, right? But I don't do that anymore because it's just, it's a, it's a whole conversation anyway. So stimulation has a spectrum, especially on like a good remote collar, like my, like doctor is the company I work with. Right. And there's other ones out there that are, that are good as well, but we have a spectrum of stimulation, right? So we have a one, which nobody on the planet has ever been able to feel on their face. Nobody ever all the way up to 130. Some questions pop up. Why do you have to have 130? Well, it's better to be overprepared than not because some dogs will, in some situations, will require the, why do we have 120 on our speedometer? I don't, I've never gone over 100. I, I've never done it. Why is it there? I don't know. I guess if we ever needed it, it'd be great to have it. <laughs> but, and maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but I do know that every single person that gets into their vehicle right now has a speedometer of something that they probably would never, ever go, but it's there if you need it, likely. Uh, anyway, so stimulation has a spectrum from 0 to 127 on the doctor collars for most of them, especially mine. We'll talk about mine because that makes the most sense in this conversation. And so the vibration is completely different. So the pager or vibration on mine, which are the same thing, it's labeled pager, but all it is is a vibrate. It's just one level. There's no levels, actually. It's just, you hit it, and it goes. Now, that pager, that vibration, is likely going to be an equivalent on a stimulation level at probably like a 40 to 50. That's how much, that's what it is to the dog, right? So it's very, it's very like abrupt. It's very like, hey, snap you out of this. Hey, I mean it. Hey, get your butt back here. Hey, do not go into traffic. Hey, do not chase that mountain lion. Hey, it stops. It's supposed to stop them dead in their tracks. It's supposed to be uncomfortable because that's the only thing that's going to snap them out of chasing that mountain lion as it's running across the field or chasing that squirrel across the road as the cars are coming. You guys get the deal, right? So <clears throat> oftentimes people, when they get remote collars, or they think of remote collars, they're like, I'm, I'm just going to get the pager, the vibrate collar. It doesn't have stimulation. That's what this owner had a hard time with is she's like, I have levels. I looked up the collar she had and it was levels one through nine of vibration. I said, that's fine. You can do low level vibrations, conditioning stuff. Cause she just basically had no conditioning with the remote collar. She slapped it on like probably 85% of other people out there and just said, Hey, don't do this. And then used it. And she said she turned it up once and the dog stopped, but then it had, it thought the refrigerator did that and it was afraid of the refrigerator. So these things can happen if you do things wrong. That's the way you don't want to do it. You don't want to slap it on and say, hey, knock it off. 
The only time that we do that, and it's covered in my remote collar course that we filmed for up to 12 hours and made a two hour video out of it is intervention training. Now intervention training is, I'll keep it simple. It's the only time I will use the remote collar as a correction without some sort of pre-existing notion of what the remote collar is. If it's a safety issue, right? So if a dog is actually causing harm to themselves or other people, I don't care how much they understand the remote collar. I don't want anybody to get hurt. That's the only time that happens. So you're basically, once the dog is like trying to bite me or something, I'll use the pager. And of course, at that moment, it allows the dog to simmer down and calm down and think. This is something you guys have seen me do all the time. Um, This is also, if you look at this from a different point of view and a different perspective, I can fairly say, I can understand why some individuals will say that correcting a dog under those circumstances will make things worse or pour gas on a fire. But if you actually understand and break down behavior of most dogs who come in that are reactive are absolutely terrified and fearful, meaning they're reacting out of anxiety and fear. They see something or someone that they don't understand or aren't comfortable with, and they freak out. They lunge, they bark, they scream, etc. And sometimes using the pager to snap them out of that state of mind, basically to stop them from what they're doing. It would be like if you're, think about this, like you're, you're jamming on your headphones and you think nobody else is in the room and you're screaming and you're dancing and you're being silly and it's fun. And then you see somebody walk by and you you immediately change. You're like, oh crap, what was that? Somebody's here. Take them out. <laughs> Doing nothing. It's just a funny example, right? But that's what it does. Is a dog's like, get out of here. This is your, this is my house, not your house. Get out of here. And they look aggressive. And then we use, and the dog shuts up and they immediately look around They get scared. They get nervous. They're like, what the hell is that? And because dogs condition, this is kind of going to go down a behavioral rabbit hole, but this is what podcasting is. Because think about how conditioned dogs are. They know that the doorbell means somebody's here. They know that a bag crinkling means treats. They know that the leash means a walk. I could go on forever. And conditioning is essentially association of something, right? That's how dogs learn. It's part of how dogs learn. For an example, how does a dog know what sit is? They don't know what sit is. They just know the word. They don't know that you're speaking English to them. You can say oranges. And as long as you've used positive reinforcement through conditioning, the dog is going to sit when you say oranges. And in fact, when we get my next dog or my next puppy, which is hopefully this year, I might do all that fun stuff just to prove a point. Sit may be oranges. Down might be chocolate. And... I don't know, whatever else I want to do. But my point is, is dogs are conditioned animals, as are we. We smell smoke, what's that mean? Fire. And so on and so forth. So my point is, or you hear you hear a chirp of a bird. How do we know that it's a bird? Because at some point we heard that noise, we looked, we saw where it's coming from. It goes, that sound means that that's what that is, right? It's all conditioned. We got to remember that. So it's such a valuable thing. Because you could also use it to your advantage when a dog is doing something that we don't want, right? So we can use the pager when the dog reacts negatively. So they come into the room and they're barking and it's just nasty. It's violent. It's bad. Like the video I just posted today of the border collie and the muzzle that has a bite history. 
terribly fearful dog actually was on this podcast, their owners. They came in. So if you remember the episode, I think it's 167. They tried three other dog trainers for three years. Nothing worked, something along those lines. They came in for training. And um, you have to watch the video, see how it goes. But so conditioning is like that, right? So we're actually pairing the uncomfortable stimulation or vibration or anything uncomfortable the dog doesn't like in association the moment that they react. So they understand that if you're going to believe in positive reinforcement, which of course I do, it's almost everything that I do. It's how you teach animals new stuff. It's how you teach people new stuff. It's kind of hard to believe that you wouldn't understand how discipline or punishment works, right? So if we're positive reinforcement by definition, as you guys know, is to enforce a behavior to happen again in the future when we ask them to do it. So what's what that means to the dog, breaking that down, is when you say sit, or in my, in my future case, maybe orange, <laughs> and the dog puts their butt on the ground, and we go, yes, good sit, boom, and they get a piece of food, they get chicken, turkey, beef, whatever the hell they're eating, they go, wow, that was great. You say, okay, break, and the dog's kind of walking around, and we go, hey, Fido, sit. And they're like, oh, I know. They put their butt on the, They're like, I think, I think if I put my butt down, I get that treat. The dog puts her butt on again, bang, and you pay him. Yes. So the dog is conditioned. Okay, so think about this. This is this might turn into a really interesting podcast. But listen to this. So if the dog responds to the fact that when you say sit out of your mouth and they put their butt on the ground, and you can apply that to any behavior that comes out of your mouth in any language, and then you pay them, because we're like, that's exactly what it is. Great job. Good sit. So how does the dog feel? They're excited. They're stimulated. They're happy. They got paid. It's a marvelous, beautiful thing. It's fun to watch. It's fun to do for both people and dog. It's amazing. Great. We're learning new stuff. We're learning please and thank yous in the dog world. Beautiful. So all that makes sense, right? Okay, great. Now, once a dog starts barking habitually at a stranger or a person as a puppy or as an adult, our job is to, if we're going to subscribe and believe into what positive reinforcement can do to encourage things, in my opinion, it's a little crazy that we don't believe that punishment isn't equally or greater value, value into the system of working with dogs as the reward-based system, right? And this is not going to get political. Don't worry. I'm just, I'm speaking about behavior in general and breaking this down. And so when the dog does something like try to bite somebody or go after somebody or bark really aggressively and scares the shit out of a little kid and you say, hey, leave it. So again, what what's what's the spectrum? What's the template here? Well, the template for positive reinforcement is something coming out of your mouth and then reinforcing it with an external food reward or a verbal reward. Good sit, boom. Sometimes they get paid, sometimes they don't with food. Doesn't matter. So it's the same setup. So you go to the other side, dog does something we don't like. Maybe jump up on somebody. We take our leash, we pop it down, we say off, boom. So we're using a word, just like we said sit. And if the dog does it, we say good off and we pay the dog. If the dog doesn't, 
then we correct the dog, making the behavior that they did uncomfortable. That's the point of using punishment is we don't want them to do it again. I think sometimes some dog owners think that uncomfortability is not fair. And of course it is because I'm not saying abuse and, and, and kicking the dog and yelling at the dog and pinching the dog and punching the dog, whatever crazy people do. I'm just saying the dog feels the tug on the leash. They go, oh, that kind of sucked, like whatever. And the dog sits and you pay him. So anyway, those are the two templates. So, you know, moving back to e-collar. So we have a vibrate, which is a like your cell phone, exactly like your cell phone, actually. It's the same technology, right? So let's say for an example, a puppy is, or I'm sorry, this particular dog that we were talking about, this Aussie, runs towards the door. And we say, leave it. And they don't. So the dog heard you. The dog knows what leave it is because we've taught it. And then we disrupt them. We knock them out of that state of mind. They stop. They think. They reclaim their thoughts. We say Fido come and we recall them. And so anyway, going back to like dogs that are reacting, dogs that are doing things wrong, using that pager is really nice. But what ends up happening is a lot of people introduce the remote collar but they don't like you guys hear me often talk about my remote collar introduction and how other people do it as well. And I think everybody has their own way. And you guys, that that's the thing is like the consumer or the dog owners are the ones who are going to decide what makes sense to them. Right. There's no, there's no argument here about who's right and wrong. It's whatever you guys feel comfortable with. And that's most important. And so if you're like, Oh yeah, I like that. Okay. That makes sense. Great. Cool. But if you don't get the same equipment that that trainer's using, it's not going to be applicable at all. And that's what was happening with this individual. She's like, I watched the video. I want to take the course. But I'm like, you don't have the right equipment, right? So you got to make sure when you guys are listening to this or you're a dog trainer and you're listening to this, you got to make sure that your clients or you dog owners are using the right equipment when I'm saying these things and you're doing it right. Because that's what I think a lot of people do is they, and I get it. Right, I'm an Amazon shopper. I'm a 10 p.m. looking for the cheapest, what with the best results, best um, ratings. I'm that guy too. I just bought a projector for the studio. I'm, I'm, I scoured them. There's hundreds of options, but I'm looking at the thing that's the most affordable, but also has good quality and good reviews. So I totally understand trying to trying to you know save some money, but understanding that when you go and save your money on a forty dollar remote collar. You can't train, it's nothing, I don't care, it's whatever. You can't train the way that I'm using with my $250 collar because they're two separate things. They're completely two separate um, tools and two, sep- two different systems. So just remember that, guys, that you can't do the same type of e-collar introduction that I do or anybody else that you like that they're doing if you don't have similar equipment. And I usually tell people if it's not, over $170, it's probably not worth your time. So anyway, moving on. If it's something that you have done and you're like, crap, I messed up, you know, whether it's a prong collar or an e-collar or whatever it is, if you have a tool and your and your dog didn't like it and then you realize and you scratch your head, oh shit, I did this wrong. That happens all the time too, which, you know, I had this video with Milo, which was the German Shepherd we rehomed um, in New Jersey and she hit the you know she hit the pager instead of the stimulation and remember the stimulation at at 
conditioning levels is never aversive, never corrective, never stressful, never punishment, never, ever. We never introduce things that way, ever. But she grabbed the remote collar and immediately hit the pager. The dog hit the deck, ran away. She's like, I'm shelfing this. And that's, I get it. I'm like, hey, I'm, I don't, I'm just, I'm a coach here. Like, I'm just telling you, like, the reason why that happened is because you used it wrong. Like, that type of vibration and pager would have been used if the dog was attacking something or barking and trying to get to somebody or whatever. Like, that's your oh shit button. That's your emergency lever. So just understand, you guys, especially with remote collars, if you do introduce something wrong, it's okay. Your dog will get over it, I promise. Dogs are absolute resilient creatures. I think that that's part of why we love them so much. They're so consistent. You know, they're never like in a bad mood. I mean, I say never, but you know what I mean? Like they're consistently just like they want to wake up and they want to like you you are all that matters to them. So, if you do it wrong, just remember, I have a course out there for I'm not trying to sell my course, but man, I put it together for a reason. You guys, I'm not trying, this isn't a big ad. I don't want you to think that. I'm just saying like, I spent the time on that course for a reason. Um, but if you if you do it wrong, you know, take your time, redo it right, okay? Put the remote collar on. That is a nice remote collar that you haven't spent $40 on. It's gotta be about 150, 100, $200, $250. Spend some time reconditioning it. Take your time, this is no rush. You know, it's not just slapping something on. And then the same thing with the prong collar. You know, you get a prong collar, it doesn't work. Um, or whatever, you know, oops, sorry. You just, you guys just have to understand that if, if mistakes happen, you can get better. You just have to do it a different way and you have to present it in a different way and you have to take your time and do it right. And that's, that's important. So anyway, well, uh, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. I wanted to just talk about that. And before I close this out to answer some of your questions, I just wanted to say thank you guys for all the love and support across all channels and all the things that we do. I just got a notification that we are uh, the number one dog training podcast in the United States and in Canada. And we're climbing in the UK, which is amazing. And I don't know if we're going to stay there forever, but to get there out of all the other great podcasts out there means a lot to me because if that is happening, that means that we're helping a lot of dogs because every single podcast that I've ever tried to put out or any type of content I've put out is to literally help a dog. And so that's amazing that we're at that level. And I appreciate you guys very much. It doesn't go unnoticed. We do work really hard. Um, Before we get into these questions, I want you guys to know that I will be answering any of your listeners, your listeners, you guys as listeners, I'll be answering your questions. All you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your question and answer or your question in those reviews. Okay, if you're listening to this on Spotify, Do me a solid favor right now. Pause this podcast. Go and leave a review. We appreciate it a lot. All right, we're going to get into the questions now. So this is a uh, multi-series podcast here. Just wanted to get into that. All right, you guys, the first question comes from Rabbi Robin. Love your balanced five-star review. Training the trainer. Thank you. Love the balanced dog training philosophy. I've been training to be a trainer now for over a year, and I've done mentorship with a CDPT trainer and has a TV show on Disney Plus. And I just finished apprenticing with a positive reinforcement trainer, but I've always kept an open mind when regards to aversive training tools because every dog is different. What advice would you give for someone like me who's starting 
started on the first professional training job. Thank you so much for advance. You're a rock star. Let me read that question again. What advice would you have for someone like me getting started on my first professional training job? Mm. Well, I think, all right, it's a, it's a good question, Rabbi Robin. I think the, my answer is, is exactly what you're doing. I think that's how I, st- like I was a dog lover. I'm sure like you were when you were little, uh, you realize you're like, hey, I kind of understand dogs more than the, the rest. And I went out and I trialed positive only trainers and I trialed balanced tr- trainers and I ran a daycare and I was a dog walker and I worked with clients every day. And I, I literally was just living and breathing and working with dogs every day, like every single day. I was an animal control officer. I was pull, you know, pulling dogs out of fights and I was walking 15 dogs a day, different breeds, different behaviors, different ages, different equipment. I mean, that's, that's kind of like molded me into the trainer I am today. I'm going to work with what works for my clients and myself. And so like, that's like, you have, like, I have a well-rounded approach. So I don't put myself in a box, right? So if you work with a positive only trainer, you're putting yourself in a box. I'm not saying it's a bad box, but all I'm saying is, is if a dog comes in that needs behaviors to be discouraged, it's going to be physically, literally impossible for you to do, which may hold you to some limitations. So the fact that you've done balance training and you've done um, one-dimensional training with positive only training and all these things, like that's great. That That's what makes you, I think, a skilled, flexible handler slash dog person professionally is because when something gets thrown at you that may be outside of the box of one style, you can immediately just adapt on the other end. It's like being a lefty and righty hitter in baseball. You're more versatile. You're more valuable. You're more worth the money than other people because you know clients are going to come in and they're going to say, hey, this is my dog. Can you handle it? And you're like, yeah, I can. I kind of swing both ways. I can do whatever you need me to do. I know how to develop behaviors. I also know how to successfully modify behaviors because of your well-roundedness. So my suggestion is, you know, that I, I think um, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing. It, it really saddens me to see anybody try to just go down one path, you know, on on either end of the spectrum because you're losing a lot of valuable a lot of valuable stuff because when you're shaping and molding. Um, and, and correcting and all these things all at once, it's, um, it's nice to see it all come together and you can develop a dog with balance. And, um, that's just, you know, what I've seen over the years to be successful. That's why I talk about it so much. So yeah, I think you're doing everything that you need to do. And I appreciate you listening and, um, hopefully this podcast and the videos and all the stuff that we're putting out continues to give you value. So next one. Uh, I don't even, I'm not even going to try to say this name. I'm going to butcher it so bad, but best podcast, five-star review. Hey, Tom, thank you for your help, time and efforts you put into the podcast for us. My question is, I have an eight-month-old Malinois and has been has separation issues when I'm dropping off my daughter at her school. <laughs> this is, I'm like in my head, I'm watching this happen. When I'm dropping off my daughter at school in the car, my dog starts freaking out and starts barking whenever we arrive at school because she's been working on obedience and does very good. How do I start working on this? Greetings from San Diego. Well, um, I don't know if it's the stimulation from the bustle of kid drop-off, right? Because that's a very stimulating, chaotic thing, or it can be, or the daughter leaving and the dog being protective. Um, So my recommendation, if you can, and it's safe, 
I would, because this is a younger dog, um, obviously this is something that you want to work on. Again, like having a drivey Malinois, they're going to be overstimulated quicker than other dogs. Or they have a quicker like zero to a hundred than other dogs. That acceleration can happen faster because of the, them being who they are. So it might be helpful for you to park down the road and then maybe do some obedience with your, as your daughter is walking next to you, you can do some obedience with your Mal to start to desensitize around this area. Because right now you're dipping in, you're dipping out, you're dipping in, you're dipping out, you're dipping in, you're dipping out. But you're also conditioning your dog that when you get to the, and I don't take this for general, please don't, you know, I know this is the internet and a weird place for generalizations, but (laughs) take this as general as you can. But I'm assuming you pull up with your daughter and your dog in the back, you get out. um, Maybe you say, hey, love you. Have a great day at school. And there's this goodbye-ness. There's this, hey, I'm leaving this that the dog has been conditioned to. So the moment you pull up, the dog's like, this is the place where little Sophie gets out, right? And that we don't like that. Or it's this, it's just sometimes I've seen like Lakota's like this, she's going to do it right after this phone call or after this podcast. Like the moment I'm like, all right, guys, have a good day. Thanks for listening. She pops up. She know, She's so conditioned. She's so intelligent. So your dog may be just a conditioning that, hey, when we get up to the school, this is the place that happens. Something happens here. And it may not even have anything to do with your daughter. It's just like your dog is stimulated. I don't know. So your job is to break down the stimulation. You have to break the pattern. So if you're dropping your dog off at 7.50 every single day, pull up on a side street at 7.30 and spend the next 10 to 15 minutes walking your daughter towards the school and having some different routines. The other thing I would do, go to the school on a Saturday and Sunday, park out front and work your dog there. So you have to start breaking down the cycle. It's the most important thing. So hope that helps. Turts D. Deaf puppy, five-star review. Hello, what are some tips in training working with a deaf puppy? Ooh, good question. We just did a podcast. I'm sorry. We just did a video on a deaf and blind dog, which was really, really cool. And the owner did an amazing job with this dog. You can check that out over my YouTube channel. Uh, let's see. So food is is definitely the, or motivation is the, the best. Um, and I say food because they're using their nose. So when you're dealing with a deaf puppy, obviously they don't hear their name, they don't hear cues, they don't hear any of that stuff. So typically, uh, I like to use food. So have a very, very, very specific food that you use only while training. And it really just, I mean, as far as tips and tricks, I mean, I could talk all day about the things you can do, but I would just get into a training space that is consistent Right. So you get into maybe a training space that has like if you have the room to have like a little padded mats, right? You can just go to Target and get the little little puzzle soft mats that they have for like kids to play on. Like get like a little area that the dog knows, like, oh, this is training time. The food comes out, the leash comes on, um, and you start working on all sorts of different stuff that way. So I think the number one thing for a deaf puppy is consistency. So the dog starts to pick up on expectations and routines. Uh, and you can start working on like hand luring and stuff like on downs and, you know, sits and places and stuff like that. There's so much stuff that you can do creatively. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I'm biased because this has been an amazing accomplishment for us. And, and deaf dogs has been the, the um, e-collar. Like it's been an amazing tool. We've actually used it so creatively for deaf dogs. We've associated, uh, we've basically replaced the clicker with... Um, 
the e-collar for deaf dogs, which is really cool. Um, so we've done a lot of different things on that. But ultimately, I think you should get down the dog recalling to you um, to some degree with the remote collar. This is something that you can do at like age like five months um, with leash pressure and stuff. You can use the low-level low stimulation until the dog gets to you and then you pay him and shut it off. So basically the dog finds you and then the e-collar negative reinforcement shuts off it's a really cool thing we did it with this dog it's in the members club i think if not it's definitely on the youtube um channel we already posted that so it's a beautiful thing i would highly 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 recommend it um but essentially we used remote collar as soon as it came on the dog found the handler and got paid and it shut off so we used the e-collar as an immediate response for the dog to recall to the owner incredible there's nothing else out there that would have allowed you to do that um wirelessly nothing doesn't exist you could never do it ever so it was really cool so i would work on food motivation and consistency and then when you're ready i would i would highly recommend getting into some e-collar courses and things to you know know how to apply these things correctly but anyway all right, that's all, folks. Uh, I'm going to be answering three more next week. If, remember, I appreciate you guys. If you want me to answer your questions, all you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave a review, and I'd be happy to answer them next week. Thanks for listening. Um, all the merch and the coffee and all the good stuff is in the links below and the courses and all that merch and yummy stuff. So thanks, guys. Bye. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.